Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, uh... Many of us have warning systems in our lives, don't we? The things that, that alert us to things that might be going wrong or might be going bad in, in, in our world. Uh, in, on our computers, we have things like Norton or McAfee or, or some other programs that say, there's a virus that's hitting your computer or you're being attacked. And it, it tells us that but also gives us ways to get out of it. Um, our basements, some of us have warning things in our basements or crawl spaces that tell us there's water that's, that's, that's building up or pooling or puddling and, and uh, helps us to deal with that. Our cars have alarms and if someone is tampering with them and uh, some have heart monitors or blood monitors to let us know there's something going on, you need to pay attention to what's going on with your body. And um, uh, our, some of times our houses have high-tech solutions like ADT to watch our house and some of us have low-tech solutions like uh, barking, yipping dogs uh, that alert us if someone is coming by. But all that to, to give us warnings to what's going on. Um, I, I'm reminded sometimes of the old TV show Lost in Space. They had a robot. And uh, the robot, if danger was approaching, warning, Will Robinson, warning, it would give you an indicator. Something's wrong. Uh, what about for our church and our faith? What kind of warning systems do we have? It's pretty clear there's dangers out there. Uh, when many people have fallen and shipwrecked their faith, whether morally or, or even theologically, uh, drifting away or simply uh, backsliding in their lives, what warns us and directs us about these kind of dangers? Well, one of the things we have is letters like Jude, which we looked at a little while ago, and, and Second Peter, uh, written both to, to give us some understanding and appreciation that well, it's not always nice and safe out there. There are dangers even to our faith that we need to be aware of. And uh, as Peter, we've been looking at Second Peter these last two weeks, and, and Peter giving, writing to a church and talking with them about these are some of the things that you need to do. And he starts it off by talking about things that, well, we need to add to our faith, that there's things in our lives that we need to build into our faith, that that faith is is the starting place, but as we begin this walk with Jesus, we also add other things to it. We add things like, like goodness and kindness and gentleness and, and self-control and, and brotherly love and love in general. And These are things and knowledge are things that we add to our faith and that helps us as we discover the world around us. Well, as he lays that foundation and as... as, as Henry talked about last week how, how our foundation on, on the Word of God is, is something that we, we depend upon, we look to. And, and Peter tells that story of, of uh, Jesus on, the, on the, the mountain, transfigured there, and, and just the glory of that. We saw this and we heard what God said about him. There's authorities that we have that help direct us and guide us. And so with that as the backdrop or foundation... As we approach chapter 2, he's got some words of warning for us. And, and, and Peter is someone who knows that sometimes we need to be reminded or we need to be warned about what's going on. Uh, there is a couple 
instances in his life and his interactions with Jesus where he had to be uh, uh, settled down a little bit. When Jesus, having told them that he was going to be headed to Jerusalem to to be killed, Peter says to him, no way, that's not going to happen. Jesus says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Okay, pretty harsh. But clearly Peter had gotten Jesus' mission all mixed up and needed to be corrected He was down a path that was not what God had intended. Uh, Later on at the transfiguration, when he sees all this happening with Jesus and, and, and Elijah and Moses, like, oh, master, we should put up booths and we should just have these monuments here to remember this. And, and uh, I, the, the scripture is, is written in word and not in audio. But I imagine if it was audio, uh, with Peter having said it, the, what would follow would be just crickets. This is not the appropriate response to this scenario here, Peter. Obviously culminating at the end when Jesus was being tried and said, you are with this guy. And three times he denied his master, his Lord, his friend. Uh, Peter knew about getting off path and off message in his life. And so as he writes to the church, wants to help them focus and remember that there are warnings to be had here. And so as we enter chapter 2, he writes this, and this is in the, the new NIV. He writes, but there were also prof- false prophets among the people. Uh, in the passage we looked at last week, uh, it talked about the prophets and the message that the prophets brought about who God was and, and the message he had to follow him and walk with him. But in, in those days, there were false prophets. There were those who, who if the message that God, that God was giving the people through the prophets was, your life is messed up, you need to turn back to God, or there will be destruction, or you have violated my command so much, you are going to be exiled. Well, that's what the message to the prophets was. But there were other prophets who were like, oh, no, he's wrong. God loves you, and we're going to be fine. We're just, everything's going to be all right. Don't listen to him. God's going to take care of us. Well, that's not the message right now. The message is you've messed up. There's going to be consequences to that. So as there were false, false prophets among the people, um, just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly, secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. As he introduces this part of the letter, he's basically as a message, watch out. There are dangers here. As there were false prophets before, we have false teachers within our, our midst that there are things that are not okay that are, that are coming along here. And, he, and, and here he, he introduces a couple different things that that's going to work its way out. They will introduce heresies, uh, false teachings, uh, uh, things that are off of the truth. And, and they'll use sometimes the words of the church but then redirect them and and change them so that they fit a different message, Uh, not a message that's found in the the Scriptures, but a message that feels better and stronger. Uh, So sin might be 
changed from, from failure to, to follow God's law and, and to, to disobey it to something more like to a failure to self-actualize yourself and, and a salvation not being something we need to be rescued from, from destruction and, and from separation from God, but, but salvation meaning more that our psychological well-being uh, inspired uh, scripture is, is not inspired and breathed into by God himself, but uh, similar to what poetry might be inspired. Oh, they were just, they were moved by the Spirit in that moment, but uh, we can interpret it as we want because uh, it's, it, that inspires us as well. And, and then looking at Jesus, not as Lord and Savior and Son of God, but as a great moral teacher. We can learn some things from him, but all this nonsense about him being uh, the, the Son of God not having to do with. These are, these are heresies that, that come into the church along the way and, and things that we, we face even today and, and Peter speaks of them, that these are destructive things that, that come within our midst. Uh, they'll deny the truth. They'll deny that Jesus needed to die for our sins and that his placing there as, as the Son of God, being God and man, uh, saves us denying that that's even necessary at all, that they didn't happen, it's not necessary. They'll come up with fabricated stories. Uh, Peter, again, had mentioned the story of the, the transfiguration. I said, these are stories that really happened, but they're going to bring other stories that, 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 that are not true. And their conduct, well, their conduct will be depraved. They've lost shame in their life. Uh, Jude talked about similar things, that, uh, that those would come in there and then they would talk about, oh, the grace of God is so amazing that, that really there's no limits. We can do whatever we want. We are free, so do whatever you want. And to live in a, in a licentious way, uh, uh, oftentimes described in terms of our sexual morality, but in, in other ways as well, uh, we can do what we want and, and we have freedom. And yet what the freedom that, that comes from the gospel is not to do whatever we want, but in recognizing that we had been slaves to sin in our life. We had been in bondage to things that controlled us, but are released from them because of the work of the Lord Jesus. And that's the essence of what we do. And so, so as Peter begins this, he's saying, watch out. These things are, are, are serious things that come into our midst. And, and as he's saying them, he's, he's really echoing words that Jesus says in his, his last moments with them. In Matthew 24, uh, it says these things, starting in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will, de and will deceive many. In verse 10 to an 11, at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And then in verse 23 and 24, at that time, if anyone says, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Paul, or Peter here, is, is saying, we need to watch out. We need to understand that there is, there is a real sense of, 
of being deceived in this. That as we walk in our life, people are going to give us wrong message. And, and uh, it'll be their greed. It'll be their desires to live and, 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 and through their own pleasures and, and, and try and encourage. And as Peter indicates and as Jesus indicates, with some success, those who are, are part of the church, there is real danger here. And Peter's saying, we need to watch out. We need to see the dangers that are, are there and around us because they will be exploiting us. Uh, I've mentioned, uh, on a, I took students on a trip to New York City back in the 90s, and, and the brightest of my students on that trip, uh, a student headed for a presidential scholarship at a solid Christian school, gave that up and walked away to follow a guy who called himself the scapegoat messiah and moved to New York City. And, and this guy's uh, process of, of deceiving, he told uh, Eric that, uh, that when, when David Koresh died in Waco, tes- Texas, the spirit of Jesus came upon him and he was going to be the new scapegoat messiah. Ridiculous, right? Who could ever possibly believe such a thing? But the smartest, brightest, the most evangelistic of our students bought this. It's possible to be deceived. And, and Peter, in understanding his own possibilities, having seen it played out in his life, is saying, watch out. This is going to come within your midst. It's going to happen. We need to be careful in the things that we allow to influence in our lives. We have to see those dangers. And as Peter goes on, he begins to describe the, false, the consequences of, of these false teachings and, and what happens to them. Uh, again, at the, at the end of chapter 3, or verse 3, it says, Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. And now in verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard it. If this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. As begins to continues his argument here, he talks about that there's consequences to false teaching, that those who engage and follow this, God will bring judgment. And this is not happy stuff to talk about sometimes. But again, we, sometimes we need letters like Jude and Second Peter to remind us that there are dangers out there and that there's consequences. Peter here, as in Jude's letter, brings up several instances from the Old Testament where, where God has demonstrated that those who do what's wrong will be judged and face condemnation. He, as Jude, brings up Genesis 5, where uh, the sons of man looked at the sons of God look at the daughters of men and desired them, and, and how judgment is, comes upon them. He, he, he calls forth again the, the, the flood of, of Noah's time, and that's, that people were destroyed because they didn't honor 
their God, that their inclination was to do evil all the time. That's the indictment of mankind, and there's punishment for that. But in the midst of the description of that punishment and the punishment that happens in Sodom and Gomorrah, when uh, there's not found to be even 10 people who live godly lives in that city, it comes. But it doesn't mean that God indiscriminately destroys all because Noah survives the flood with eight others. Lot survives the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Peter says it here, and this is beautiful description. God knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Part of this is an encouragement for, for us that God knows where we're at and knows the things that we're facing and, and can rescue us from these things. But again, it's, it's a warning further of those who are, are pursuing and teaching things that are not right, that are not biblical, that are not orthodox uh, from Scripture. There are consequences to this. And the rest of the passage talks about the things that, that, that exemplify those who live this way and teach the things they're teaching. Uh, verse 10 says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of, his, of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to to its vomit. And a sow that is washed returns to our wallowing in the mud. Whew. Well, that's quite a, a listing and a, an indictment against those who live this way. And, and again, repeatedly he's saying this is the direction of their lives. These are the things that they're doing. They're, they're, they're seducing and, 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 and 
taking others away from faith. Those who don't know, they're, oh, this is, this is new and this is interesting and let me listen to this. And, oh, I can do whatever I want. I, I, I thought that was not okay to do, but apparently this guy says it's, 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 it's okay. And the warnings here for the church is, one, to say, this is out there, but this is their destiny. They are not pursuing God, but only themselves. He brings up the uh, this story of, of, of Balaam and his donkey. And uh, we're, you're maybe familiar with that, but, but Balaam in, in the book of Numbers is, is a prophet, and, and he's asked by a king, Balak, to to curse the Israelites. The Israelites are coming into the promised land and, and moving around there. And, and he's like, these people are, I don't like them. Curse them. And, and Balaam says, okay, well, here's what I'll do. Uh, I got to ask the Lord if that's okay. And so he does. And the Lord says, no, no. In fact, I want you to bless them. And so he goes back to Balak and says, okay, um, yeah, I can't do that. But here's the blessing that God has for them. And Balak's like, no, if you're not going to curse them, don't bless them. And you could have just let it alone, but why, why bless them? And uh, that's not what I asked you to do. It's like, I can only do what God tells me. It's like, well, what if we, what if we go over there? Find, we'll find another spot, and maybe then you can curse them. And so, uh, so, so Balaam goes to the Lord and says, Lord, uh, shall I go with them? And, uh, and, and the Lord says, yeah, go with them. But... I, I, as the story unfolds, it's more like, yeah, ask me again. I wasn't sure before. Ask me again. Please, ask me again. Yeah, go ahead, do this. And, and so Balaam's like, all right, I'll go with it. And, and at that point, he goes to this other place to meet Balak, and, and, and his donkey's going along, and he's riding, and, and his donkey sees the angel of the Lord with a sword. And he's like, I want nothing to do with this. So he, he diverts, and and, and Balaam is very angry with his donkey for not obeying him because he's not seeing the angel of the Lord in front of him. And so he starts beating him. And, and uh, the donkey keeps on going on another path and then sees the angel of the Lord again and then continues to try and get away. And, and Balaam is beating on him. And into that situation, the donkey says, why do you keep beating me? Which, if I'm Balaam, I, it's probably pretty... For me, I would be freaking out a little bit, but he's so angry with this donkey. He's just like, because you're not obeying me. And, and he's like, well, haven't I been your donkey all this time? Have I ever done anything like this before? Well, no. And, and, and in those moments, his eyes are opened, and he sees the angel of the Lord who asks him, why, why the three times have you been beating your donkey? And you're going with these people. I told you not to, to go with them. But now go with them, and you must do what I tell you to do. Well, Balaam does not have permission to curse the people of God, the Israelites. But he does something different. Uh, and this comes out in, in Numbers chapter 31, verse 15. He gives them some advice. So, so I can't curse them. But if you, bring, if you send some of your seductive women among them and lure their men in, into committing adulterous, immoral acts, well, that'll change everything. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, they are seduced and, and they commit immoral actions and, and God 
then brings judgment on them. And, and such is Balaam's way to try and please those who want to give him money to give them prophecies that he wants. And, and Peter's contention here, this is what these teachers are doing in your midst. Uh, they're just trying to get whatever they can out of you and, and tell you whatever you want to hear, lead you even away from God, and not follow him. Their destruction is, is upon them. They're leading people away. They have strayed themselves. They know what's right. They've heard the gospel. That's pretty clear within this. And at the end, he, as he talks about them having been slaves of their own depravity because they're, they're pursuing what they want, that's, that's uh, as he says in, in verse 19, uh, they are slaves of depravity for people are slaves for whatever has mastered them. But then in verse 20 he says, if they escape the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, and as he continues, that they're worse off. This sounds a little curious. What is he, were they believers in the Lord Jesus? Or what, what was going on there? And uh, what, what seems pretty clear is that these teachers have been part of the Christian community in some way, shape, or form. And they know the truth as it's been taught within their congregations, their community fellowships. They know what is right. And he says, for them, it is worse for them having known it and then left it than it would have been if they'd not known about the way of righteousness in the first place. Which sounds a little weird, right? It's like, what, how, how could it be better to not know about it? Uh, Charles Swindoll has a, a couple thoughts on this in, in one of his commentaries. And he says, well, the first thing there is like, okay, if, if they didn't know about the way of righteousness, about God and his salvation through Jesus, well, then they still could hear and be rescued. <laughs> but because they've heard it and discarded it, uh, when someone tells them about faith in Jesus, Many times their attitude will be, you know what, I've been there and done that. I've seen those people. They're not okay. I want nothing to do with it. Their hearts will be hardened to the Lord so they will not respond again. I'm not saying it's impossible for their hearts to be changed, but it's more and more unlikely given their attitude towards God and towards his people. Uh, so, so one is that they're not going to come back probably. Second thing is, if you're ignorant about God, you're not going to have influence on people. People will be like, what do you think about God? I was thinking about going to church. What do you think? And if you're ignorant, you're like, I don't know. Never even thought about it. You'll be like, okay, you're not a person I can consult. But having been a part of that and now having strong opinions and teaching against it, he's like, yeah, let me tell you about that. That stuff's wrong, and here's the right way, and, and this is why they're wrong, and this is... And, and they will influence people to move away from the Lord. And then the third thing is that uh, there's some indication in here that, that those who are ignorant will have less a degree of punishment than those who are stridently opposed to God and rebelling and, and actively working against him. Uh, that there's, there's jeopardy for them in doing what they're doing and in, in actively seeking to to lead people away from the Lord. There's a group out there, it's been out uh, in the late 2000, they, they were doing something called the, 
the blasphemy challenge. And uh, started by a guy who grew up Catholic and then came, became a born-again Christian and then, then abandoned that and, and basically was encouraging and telling people, here's what you need to do. You know, these Christians, they say, you know, the, 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 the blasphemy of the Spirit is to deny the work of the Spirit and, and Jesus. And so here's the challenge. Do it. Tell people on video, I deny the work of the Holy Spirit. I deny Jesus. They are not only walking away from, from themselves, but encouraging others to do this. So Peter has all these strong warnings for how we live and, and talks about the consequences of, of these false teachings. And, and the thing for us is, is how do we detect these kind of things? And, and in the end, developing discernment uh, is our detection system. For us to grow and stronger in our walk and our faith and our knowledge, again, the things that Peter writes about in the first chapter, things that we add to our faith, things that, that build us up and strengthen us and, and, and help us to move deeper and, and stronger, things like goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly love and love, we add this to our faith and in doing so, we know better of who God is and what his word is all about. We build ourselves up. And we do that in community and help each other to walk through it. And, and part of discernment is, is figuring out who do I listen to? And who do I allow to, to influence me? I have opportunities to, to read books often. And, and I have different types of, of theology books and commentators that have different places on my, on my shelf, uh, at least mentally. There are those guys that I've read and I trust and I know who they are. I know their spirit and, and, and they teach me about scripture and, and, and the word. And, and there's others who come from a, a little more divergent theology. Uh, some things they may even deny about orthodox Christianity. And I read those a little warily, uh, knowing that there's differences in what they look at. Sometimes there's ideas that they come up with that are helpful, but always with a little sense of, okay, th there's some divergent things here. Where are those showing up in, in the writing? And then there's new authors who I don't know anything about. So what do I do with them? I mean, there's some good guys out there and some good gals who are coming up with great uh, perspectives that, that are, are fully orthodox and, and help us put our faith into action. But then there's ones like these who are off. And so as I look at them, I, I, first off, I look often at the, uh, the people who endorse their books. And if there's nobody I've ever heard of, it's like, okay, this might be, not for sure, but it might be outside of uh, my perspective on theology. And so if I begin reading it, then I, I look with a little caution, where is this guy going with it? And uh, if there's guys that I do like, then, I, then it, that's a better step in to, to what they're saying. It's like, well, what does this guy like about how this guy thinks and operates? And I think we do the same things with those we listen to because using a little scrutiny matters. What are they saying and how are they saying it? Is it pointing towards God or is it pointing towards themselves? Do you have the sense that, that a lot of this is about them removing from you the burden of your monetary wealth? And uh, them taking the burden of that on themselves. Are they looking to, 
to get more than they're getting. How do we listen to that? You know, when you go through a search process here, uh, you spend a lot of time scrutinizing the person that you brought in. When we were here, uh, there was materials that you looked at, uh, my theology, and, and I have a description of what I believe about particular subjects and, and how I am in line with the Evangelical Free Church. And, and so you looked at that, and that was a step further. And so then you had a conversation with me uh, to talk about things and how I operated, and then looked at references. Okay, this is what this guy says he is. What is he really? And, and as part of that process, uh, I, I was interacting with Merrill mostly, and, and I mentioned a, a fellow we both knew in Milwaukee. Well, Merrill has the audacity to call this guy and, and ask him, hey, you know, do you know this guy, Rick Smith? He, we're looking at his pastor, and, and, but that's good and right, isn't it? If, if, if you say you are who you are, say you are, or if you are who you say you are, then people are going to notice that and, and look that out. That's the kind of scrutiny you look through in, in bringing a pastor here. Then you had me in and you interacted with me, you listened to messages, and, and so uh, you had a better idea as you brought me, in this instance, into your community. Well, I think that's the kind of scrutiny we need to watch in all that we take in because there are those that we need to be warned about and we need to develop and strengthen our faith so that we're able to see and discern this. And that's how we walk through this. Part of that is staying connected with our Lord through our, our, our times in, in the Word, of reading and studying ourselves, of, of, of meditating upon what the Word says. And, and if someone says something that says, oh, I've never heard that before, is that what it really says? Do those scriptures really say that? That's being a good follower. Because... You're following Christ, not a person. And the person who is telling you stuff, you're recognizing, let me check that out with Scripture. That's our safest and best way to walk through this. First time I preached this passage was in uh, 2001. I was just three weeks into ministry down in Sonoda, Arizona. And, and uh, at the end of the message, uh, a gal came up. Her name is Lisa. And she says, you know, I came to know the Lord a year ago. And this is the first time I've come to church. And all the things you were talking about in false teachings, I was into all of it. And the one thing I would never look at was, was Christianity until someone just challenged me. What about Jesus? And that made the breakthrough. Well, Bailey and I had the opportunity to spend uh, uh, about a day with Lisa on our trip this, this last week and, and, and to see what the Lord is doing in her midst and her heart and her life. And uh, she still loves the Lord. And it's just a, a joy to see that and talk with that and, and talk with her about the things that are going on and uh, not living it out perfectly as none of us are, but uh, still making a difference and a change. This idea of walking through this, persevering and sticking to it, well, that comes as we discern, as we have our detection system open and aware and grounded in the foundation of who God is in his word and his spirit and his work in our life. How do you do that? How do you stay connected? How do you keep your alarm system in check so that you can discern what is right, and what is 
even just a little bit off that could lead you on a road that's away. There's a lot at stake here. There's fairly big name pastors in the last couple years who have not only wrecked their lives uh, morally, but but spiritually and theologically have walked away and, and are saying, I'm not Christian. These were prominent mega mega church pastors. It can happen. And so the warnings Peter gives us are as important as for our church as they were for his. For us to discern, to us, for us to add to our faith the knowledge, the perseverance, the self-control, the love that he calls us to. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we come to you again uh, before a scripture that uh, is, is not often looked at and not often appreciated because it's not the happy joy things of life. And yet you have it there to, to guide us, to warn us, for us to see and recognize we live in, in a world where there's opposition to you. And for us to stay connected to you means adding to our faith those characteristics that Peter talks about. Lord, help us to, to work that, to help us to build our knowledge and our faith and our, uh, the self-control we have and the godliness that we live like. Not that that earns us anything, but, but because we have been given freedom and we are no longer mastered by sinful things, we want to be mastered by you. And then in finding freedom in you, we can live a life that you built for us of knowing you, loving you, and caring for others within community. Or give us wisdom. Give us your eyes, your strength, and your wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.